This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. for Meraki Minds, stories from inspiring women, with your host, Ami Pagdal. Hello, Kiara, and welcome to the Meraki Minds. I'm Ami Pagdal, an integration technology specialist who is very excited to share the journey of opportunity, challenges, solutions, and guidance from the wonderful people around the New Zealand. Meraki is a Greek word that describes immersing your soul into whatever you do with an absolute passion and undivided attention. So let me invite our today's guest, Katie Wilkinson. Katie Wilkinson is a general manager, ambulance operations, ambulance communication at St. John, New Zealand. Katie started volunteering at St. John in a very early age of her life. Her passion to contribute to community led to her pursue the degree in the health science paramedic and achieved her master in the business administration. After holding a leadership position in a few other organizations, Katie is happily back at the St. John in her current role. Katie is passionate about leadership and supporting the development of others. Working in a health is where her heart is, feeling that she's making difference every day. Outside of work, Katie walks the talk in supporting the woman and trying to make the world a better place. Katie isn't one to sit still and has a big plans for her future. So how are you doing today, Katie? Welcome to the show. Oh, kia ora. Thank you for having me. I'm very well. Thank you. So Katie, as you have a really amazing journey in health industry, where did it all started? Like what you wanted to be when you was a kid? Yeah, I was very lucky to know what I wanted to do from an early age. So when I was 12, I had a girlfriend who wanted to become a, a St. John Youth Cadet, but she didn't want to go along by herself. So she took me with her. And uh, from the moment I got there, I was inspired uh, by what I saw, what I heard, just being around uh, ambulance services. Uh, and I knew then that that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I signed up as a cadet and um, used to go to first aid competitions and things through my teens, which was a lot of fun, knowing that that was my end goal. Um, I, I had a bit of a bump, I guess you could say, uh, in my late teens. Um, my husband and I were very early parents. So we had our first son when I was 19. And we got married when I was 20, and so you could imagine that that creates a lot of uh, serious life focus that's hard to do a career progression at the same time, I guess. Um, but I did manage to sign up as a volunteer, so as a volunteer ambulance officer at uh, about 20 when he was about six months old, um, and was really hopeful that I could turn that, that into a career path at that point. The challenges were being a very young family, there was very little money, so any spare time I had, if you could have any spare time, was I needed to focus on part-time paid work. And then the other challenge was we were living in a province, so there was low, very low turnover in the ambulance service there at the time, so the chances of getting a paid role were very limited. Um, so I, I did about 18 months to two years, and then I had to stop doing that, get a part-time job, and um, we had another baby, and I... I didn't ever lose sight of that being my end goal, but for a long time it was hard to see a way in or a way that I could progress that. Um, I was very, very lucky when I was nearly 30. Um, 
I discovered completely by accident that they were starting a paramedic degree at Fitarea in um, Porirua in Wellington. So we packed up our family and relocated to Porirua so that I could start that degree, um, which again, very challenging, couple of small children, still not a lot of money, trying to study full-time as a, I guess, technically a mature student. But um, sometimes you need to work really hard for your goals, right? So that was um, one of the best things I've done. Then I started working full-time for Wellington Free Ambulance, initially as a front frontline paramedic and then uh, as an extended care paramedic and then moving into a management role. So, um, and then it progressed from there. So I guess uh, quite a challenging start in some ways, but um, have thrilled, thrilled to have got there. You actually did a quite a great job. Like you was, you did your bachelor's and you have like even the master's while managing your personal and professional lives. But there was any like a blurry moments in your life where you thought, okay, this is not something I can do it anymore. Or where you had to question yourself that is this something I will be able to carry forward? Yeah, such a good question because um, lots of lots of times and even now, you know, when I'm looking at new challenges, I think, can I, can I really, can I? But actually there's a few things, right? So one is I have always had um, a fire in my belly. I always, I want more. I want to do more. I want to challenge myself more. I'm never done. So uh, that keeps me going. Um, another thing is that um, the value of having a really supportive and empowering partner. So my husband is incredible. He has been the main parent for a long time. He does a lot of the main sort of house running things, which frees me up to do a lot more of a career focus. Um, and he, anytime I have a doubt, he's the first, his first thing is to say, no, 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 put the doubts aside. This is what you want. This is what you want. Back yourself. You're good. You've got it. And to have that cheerleader constantly available, I, you know, I can't underestimate the value of that. Um, yeah. So, so having that empowering partner is really important. And I guess the third thing is that um, I'm a really passionate feminist and I believe strongly that I have a responsibility to push forward because the more women push forward, the more we can achieve equality. And so a lot of the times I've had bumps, it has come down to that to think, if I don't, who does? So I need, you know, I need to step into that space and do my bit uh, for women everywhere. And I guess that probably seems really lofty, but I think if everyone steps forward, you know, we'll, we'll gain that equality eventually. So those things keep me going. So when you was moving in this different kind of roles, did you have this end goal, like this is something I want to achieve, like this is a particular role that I want? Yeah, so when I was in a management position at Wellington Free Ambulance, I realized that if I wanted to really progress a varied career, I didn't have, I didn't believe that I had a lot of uh, appropriate skills to step off. So that was one of the main reasons I did my master's in business administration, my MBA, because I felt like that was um, a really good generalist degree that everyone was familiar with, and it would help leverage into other career options. And I, so I left, once I'd done, I think I'd done the end of second year, I left the ambulance service and went, did a couple of roles in government departments and private healthcare, um, which were amazing experiences and really helped to diversify my skill set and uh, challenge me in other ways. But over time, I realized that my heart is definitely in health and specifically in ambulance. Uh, the ambulance service is, you know, where I want to be, where, where I get the most fulfillment. So, um, 
when I managed to, when this my current role came up um, with St. John, uh, obviously I was very motivated to apply for that and uh, absolutely right to be successful and find myself now working in a role that is, um, you know, challenging and exciting and rewarding. And I work with great people. Um, we do great mahi. Uh, uh, you know, every day you get out of bed and you know that you're going to make a difference to someone's life, which is enormously rewarding, actually, to be in that space. Uh, so, yeah, so lots of learning uh, over, the, over the way and a lovely feeling to be in a space that's really fulfilling now. So what are those challenges and wins that you need witness when you are in this role? So. The people uh, that work in my my area within St. John, we answer most of the one-on-one calls in the country, send out ambulances, helicopters, organise private transfers for people. Um, and so it's really rewarding to know that every single day we are touching and improving the lives of New Zealanders, that um, we're, we're truly making a difference. And, and one of the things that I've had to, over time, get used to... Is, but, having not because I'm not frontline is that I do that I make that difference by association so if I can support my people to be the best that they can be then they can deliver the best um, customer service and patient care over the phone uh, every single day which is amazing I guess the challenges are you know there's just never enough hours in the day right it's a very um varied and challenging area to work in um it changes all the time it's quite common to sort of start a work day and think right I've got these five things to achieve if I can just finish the day having achieved those it's great and then you get to the end of the day and you haven't got to any of the five because all these other things happen that you needed to get to um, with more urgency but actually I really love that environment I love the unpredictability of it and how uh, you know you just um, have to roll with it sometimes and you're con constantly reviewing what is the biggest priority right now that I have to spend some time on and how do I cram all of these things into a really limited work day uh, is, is, you know, it's really rewarding work. It's not easy, but it's really rewarding. So if we look back to the time when you were a kid and now you have achieved this role in your life, like becoming a leader and things, how did it evolve you as a person? I, I think it, it, through my teens, through my 20s particularly, I would love to go back and just be able to say, just calm down. It will be fine. Trust yourself, back yourself. It's okay. And I guess even some of those messages apply now where sometimes I have to think, just relax. It'll play out in the right way. It doesn't matter that everything's not being achieved in this one day or that, you know, you haven't got to your end goal already. That's okay. Relax. It will be fine. Back yourself. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because hindsight's so valuable and you just think, if only I could go back and say, just just wait, it will play out fine. It will be great. Yeah, it would be great to have that opportunity. Yeah. So even now, when you go through these blurry times, do you have like a books person or a mentor to help you or guide you through these situations? Yeah, I think at the, at, so I've done um, the value I've got from like a professional coach and professional supervision over the years has been incredible. And a lot of the value that I've got has been, um, I guess, unpacking a lot of those insecurities that we have, a lot that I had around, you know, am I good enough? Can I do it? Will I be up to the task at different points in my career? Um, so that's been, those have been really invaluable uh, opportunities that I've had through organisations that I've worked for, and I'm grateful for that. Now I gain, um, I gain from 
both professional and personal networks. So the opportunity to have a group of, you know, empowering and positive people, and in my case, they're usually women, where I can go and say, oh, I, I'm not sure about this new challenge and get that positive affirmation back or the ability to talk through the, what is it that you're really actually worried about and, and kind of get back on track with the focus. Um, so yeah, I get I get a lot of empowerment and reassurance from, from other people now. Um, but over the time, there's certainly been yeah, books that have been uh, supportive and empowering or websites or, but that professional coach and supervision has really been valuable. Yeah. And during those challenging times, did you have uh, this moment where you thought like what you are facing is because of inequality or kind of things? And how did you handle those situations? Many times, many times. Actually, the very first, I can remember clearly the very first time that happened and I was in what it was was then standard four. So whatever that is now, the last year of primary school. And um, the teachers at school, and this isn't, well, I don't think it's that long ago, but anyway, the teachers at school declared that the girls were no longer allowed to wear shorts and they were no longer allowed to play with the boys in the playground. And I remember going home and telling my mother this. And just, I remember thinking, that's really annoying, but okay, it's right. And, uh, and I remember my mother hitting the roof. There is no way. And she literally stormed down to the school the next morning and told the headmaster that these rules were not going to stand. Thanks very much. And, uh, and it was rescinded that day. And I thought and the power of my mother doing that was, um, I guess, it has been a lifelong lesson for me, right, to have the power to change it. But also recognising that you're sitting in a place of sexism because at that young age, I had no appreciation that that was it. And there have been lots of moments through my life where that has actually applied. I mean, another time I was a frontline paramedic and I was at that point well qualified. I was confident in my clinical ability. And I remember sitting in the back of an ambulance with this quite elderly gentleman and we were just having chit chats. And he said, um, oh, do they, uh, do they let you drive? And I was I was speechless at the time. I said, yes, yeah, yeah, no, they do. And I was terribly polite because we've always been trained to be polite, especially as women. But actually on reflection, the driving's the easy bit. You know, I was responsible, sir, with your clinical well-being between you uh, calling 111 for help and coming to your house and delivering you to hospital with whatever serious health complaint you had. Um, you know, I was responsible for that. And you're worried about me driving a van with lights and sirens. Like, I just... Yeah, I don't know that they would ever ask a man that. Uh, and so, yeah, lots and lots of, um, actually, I heard a term the other day, microaggressions. And I was unfamiliar with the term, but I get it now, is where these relatively um, in, inane or innocuous sort of things happen, but actually they add up to be a systemic uh, sexist environment, right? Where um, the filter is different for the questions that we'd ask of women and ask of men. Uh, one of the things I still struggle with a little bit is um, how you respond to them, because sometimes they happen and you think, and I think, what? Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. And it's not till later that I'm thinking, oh, I should have said this and I should have said that and I should have said the other. Um, but sometimes at the time, you know, you don't really have the response ready. And then if I do have the response, that's sort of uh, a lot of those, um, you know, very uh, traditional messages to women around, you know, don't upset people, don't take up too much space, don't have too much voice. So it becomes an inner conflict of how assertive do I think I can be in response to what you've just said to me? Uh, you know, versus maintaining whatever relationship I'm trying to protect as well. So it's, a, you know, it's always a, a difficult uh, balance to get right, I think, while we're addressing these 
disappointingly ongoing issues. Yeah, and it, I think it is just like not in, only in the environment, the way we get it, like sometimes like there are even a lot of imbalance in terms of how you get paid and the opportunities to be in the leaders. And yeah, it, it does impact in quite a lot sectors. Yes, it absolutely does. Yes, it absolutely does. And one of the things I'm, I'm really enjoying working for St. John is the um, the passionate focus on women and leadership and making sure that women have the equal opportunities that men have to, to getting into those senior leadership positions. And like organisations everywhere, it's not perfect yet, but we're actively doing the mahi in this place. And I you know, really appreciate the I guess, the vision of our leadership um, in, in correcting that, actually. And in this whole journey, did you have any such incident which changed you completely as a person or impacted you the most the way you grew up in your life? So I think, I think there were two things. Um, so one was uh, when, I was, yeah, when I was about 12, I broke my knee in this very uh, weird non-eventful accident and uh, ended up over a period of about 15 years having six operations on it and it's a now it's a permanent disability but but what that journey uh, did for me was exposed me to uh, multiple interactions with the health sector various things physiotherapy hospitals etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, and um, I think there's a real connection between that experience which um, the, the kind of quality care I got sparked that interest in, in becoming a part of the health sector um, in the health sector being somewhere somewhere that I'm really passionate about being and I thought that once I found my journey into being a paramedic that that would be it that I would be a paramedic forever I thought that I'd stay being a paramedic forever that that would be that it was my dream it was going to stay my dream and I was going to do it but I think the intersection in my life between having had children very young means that by the time I got to my sort of mid-30s I had this uh, kind of realization that I had a lot of work life left and what was I going to achieve? And I often reflect and, and sometimes share with others that uh, anytime I'm sort of thinking, what am I going to do next in my life? As an 80 year old on my deathbed, what am I going to reflect on and, and be proud of? What are the things I'm going to have wanted to achieve? So is the position I'm in enough? Have I done enough? And so, um, as I say, children young, a lot of life, um, working life left, really realized that I wanted to achieve as much as I could in a career space. I wanted to challenge myself to be, to get to the most senior positions that I could achieve. Um, and so that sort of helped fuel that fire around leadership, um, management and going on that journey. And uh, I'm really proud of the position that I'm in at the moment, really proud and enjoying it immensely, but it's not my end goal. So I figure, you know, there's at least another 25, hopefully, years left in my working life. And there's still things that I want to achieve in that. Um, but I can, when I reflect back, see a connection between having the serious injury and a lot of healthcare experience, staying in the healthcare sector, but also having this um, really big window to uh, challenge myself uh, as a feminist, as a leader, uh, and what I'm able to achieve with that. That's great. And just from this like what would you aspire to be the next like what it will be your the next goal in the year or two something that you would like to achieve so um it's funny isn't it because um 
I normally get a little bit shy around talking about my next steps. But I recently heard a woman who was talking about how she aspired to a CEO position and she has told everyone, everyone who would listen for years, because she felt that the more people who knew, the more that they would support her when it came to applying for a position. And that transpired to be true for her. And I thought, well, I'm going to learn from her. So I'm going to share with you that my end goal is to have a CEO position. I don't know in what organisation it I'm fairly confident it will be in health somewhere, but uh, that's definitely my long term, what I'm working towards. In the meantime, uh, I'm enjoying, I've got a board position, I'm elected director to the Medical Alert Foundation. Uh, I'm the chair of the UN Women Aotearoa Auckland Regional Committee. I'm enjoying those challenges, but I would like to pursue more another board position. I'd like to pursue uh, more involvement with the UN Women. So um, both in a professional sense and in a a voluntary sense, there's a a lot more mahi to do, I think. I've got um, goals to achieve, but there you go. My uh, secret's out. That is my my end goal, is to be a CEO. And look, let me tell you that even saying this to you is making me feel uncomfortable because this isn't a space I step into, uh, but I'm enjoying the challenge of that. So what are the prospects that you are looking at the UN Women's right now? So uh, the so the UN Women is all about uh, advocacy and obviously fundraising for the UN projects. It's a relatively new involvement for me, but um, it's not my first involvement in a, in a women's focused and women's lead organisation. And I'm really passionate about those things. So the advocacy, the making lives better for women and girls globally, very passionate about those um, uh, values and, and that mahi. So want to just continue to contribute to that in any way that I can. The Auckland Regional Committee is a very new um, group. So we are establishing ourselves. We are uh, finding our feet in terms of what our fundraising rhythm looks like, etc. And so enjoying the challenge there. Medical Alert is a foundation I've been involved with for the last couple of years and passionate about that as well, because again, that is, um, you know, not for profit, making the world a better place in terms of um, accessibility to healthcare. So it's about the um, people in an emergency having access to the information on their uh, Medical Alert badges. So um, just supporting the mahi that the organisation does from a board perspective there, and I guess selfishly looking for another board position so that I can diversify in that way. And I find that working through boards is a way of um, contributing without having additional day jobs, I guess, you know, yeah, making a difference. Making a difference is what it all boils down to. Actually, the other thing I'm pursuing at the moment, just in its infancy, is to be a volunteer ambulance officer for St. John. I live in a a very small community, so uh, to volunteer again on the front line, um, yeah, I think would be great as well to see patients again, yeah. While talking about being in front line and witnessing the patients every day, how do you manage your mental health so the grief and the sorrows that you see in the patients does not impact you at a personal level? Yeah, it's a great question because there is a real balance that I think every clinician in every setting has to find between having enough empathy and understanding and care for for people, but also being able to protect yourself enough that, you know, you're right, that you can come back again the next day and you're not burning yourself out. And um, to be honest with you, uh, when I was a frontline paramedic, I did go through a period of being burnt out, uh, having given too much compassion. And I guess my, what I would say my tank was empty, my battery was flat. Um, And I had to find some ways to recharge that. 
before I could then have a better equilibrium between giving enough but not too much. Um, and also, I guess, having some insight into the sort of incidences that um, affect you the most as a person. So, you know, you can appreciate that ambulance staff go to a massive range of, uh, of incidences, but not everything has a big emotional impact on me as an in, on you as an individual. Um, so the things that would uh, really upset me would be the ones around um, uh, older adult care. So, I mean, I can remember going to a woman who had had a fall uh, in a garage and spent um, one, maybe two nights at, outside on the ground before someone found her and then called an ambulance. And I remember at the time being so upset about that poor woman who'd lived this full life and, you know, had this terrible experience. Um, those ones I struggled with. And the other ones that I found particularly upsetting actually were women who had um, been the victim of intimate partner violence. Uh, I struggled with those ones, but plenty of other types of incidences uh, were absolutely fine. And I guess on the surface should seem like they would be upsetting, but I was a clinician doing a clinical role, applying the appropriate level of care. Those weren't about me as an individual. Um, but I think that my, my care for women at large gave me a um, that you know real connection with with them as in, victims of intimate partner violence and um, I had done a lot of extra study in older adult care so that remained an area that I was uh, extremely passionate about so those two were ones that I had to find a balance of but in the main I guess the rest of the types of incidences were yeah being a clinician office offering clinical care ambulance services have really good support networks so the peer support employee assistance programs so there's lots of avenues for you know if you need to talk with someone if you need some you know increased support that's available it's um really recognize that those supports can be needed at times as opposed to like I don't know 20 or 30 years ago where you're just probably told to get on with the job <laughs> so it's nice it's nice to know that those supports are available now it's really great if someone wants to start a journey in a health science or as a paramedics or anything in a health sector, from your experience, what do you think the skills they will need or the, any advice that you would like to give them? Uh, so my advice for them is the same as my advice for women everywhere. And it's this, absolutely, you can do it. Absolutely. Because one of the things that we need to do individually is unpack why we think we can't. So, you know, seek out the coach, seek out the mentor, seek out the support, unpack why you're holding, holding yourself back, then, then push yourself forward, lean into the spaces, take the opportunity, say yes. Uh, and and uh, yeah, that's, it takes some time to build the confidence to do those things. But actually, as women, if we're not taking the opportunity to step into the space, then who will? We need to do our bit for women everywhere to back ourselves to take up those spaces. But yeah. we need to be supported and empowered to do that too, right? That's true. And especially, I think confidence does make a lot of difference in just how you carry yourself. Is, is, un, is unpacking the why nots. So what is it in our heads? That's, yeah. What is the messaging that's telling us we can't do it? Oh, I, I can't be a leader because of X, Y, and Z. So you, you need to get into that X, Y, and Z, and you need to find a way of resolving it. Because so often it's the messages in our own heads that holds us back from, from applying for the positions. You know, there's all of that uh, information online, the studies being done around requirements for jobs. And if there's 10 requirements, women will think they need seven or eight, and men tend to think they only need four or five. So, you know, there's a lot of practical things we can take to address. And actually, the other thing is find the allies. 
So um, I've had a number of fabulous people in my life who have supported my career advancement. And I'm thrilled to say that um, more than half of them have been men. So who have been in more senior roles to me, but have actively supported my promotion and my development and, and stepping into spaces. So look for where those people are, tap into them, be honest with them about what you're trying to achieve, and then allow them to help create the space for you. Because, um, you know, it's that sort of uh, support with the numbers, isn't it? Is that collectively getting into these spaces. I think just talking to people and making that a really good support around you is really important the way you grow. Yep, yep. And actually, um, one of the amazing things that happened to me um, when I was negotiating one of my first uh, management roles and I was negotiating my pay, and, and we know that women aren't strong in this area, right, that we're more likely just to accept what's offered and as opposed to negotiating. And I remember thinking about that and just being furious before it even started that I was not going to just accept the first offer. And um, I, the, the man who worked in a similar but different role to me was a, a, amazingly told me what he got paid. And to this day, I'm grateful to him because there is no way I would have negotiated a matching salary if he had not told me what he was being paid. And I did. I negotiated a matching salary. And you know, that, so that's being an ally, right? That was him empowering me to be an equal to him. And, and it, that hasn't left me. So every role I've negotiated hard around what I'm paid. And it's really important to me to do that. And I think it's something that collectively as women, we could be a lot better in that space around negotiating what we should be paid. But again, that's where the looking for the ally becomes so powerful. Totally agree with you, Katie. And thank you for joining us today and sharing your story and some tips and advices for our listeners. Thank you. Uh, kia ora, Amy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I enjoyed chatting with you. listeners hope you enjoyed listening to this inspiring story and to continue listening to such wonderful stories stay tuned and subscribe us please do share with your friends and family 